We came to a milestone tonight. We are in chapter 5. We have one chapter left, although Peter know anything about chapters when he wrote this, right? Chapter 5, we're, we're almost to the end. I can see it. We only have 14 verses to go. However, we won't make it there tonight. We will end this on Sunday. We're going to get through the first four verses tonight. And here's an interesting thing, to be honest with you. It's kind of a weird thing, in a sense, but not. Let me explain it. That, you know, when I prepare for these sermons and, um, you know, study it and I deal with it before I present it to y'all and I, um, you know, conviction comes a lot of times before it comes to you guys and, and uh, wrestle with some of these things for several days and then come and we give what God has given us and we expand on His Word and, and I still... He, I still preaching to myself and, and then preaching to you guys, and, and uh, that's kind of how it usually goes. But tonight is a little bit different. It's a little bit unique because, um, in a sense, you're going to listen to me preach to me. And that's kinda, when you start to think about it, um, that doesn't mean that you're exempt. Uh, you're here because, one... Uh, you have a desire for the Word. Number two, that uh, this is the Word of God. And this is directed, the primary point of this text, to the elders and the pastors of churches. So you'll hear what is required uh, to a certain degree. Um, but it is important for the congregation because we're all in this together. And um, you'll see what the Word has to say tonight. So uh, I've, I've been dealing with this for a little bit, dealt with it all day, even last night. Um, of what is required of me, and uh, so you can just listen, but it's for you as well. So with that being said, chapter 5, verse 1, and I hope that you can start to just train yourself to look at these verses and what they start with. You'll see that this one starts with therefore. It means that we are looking back of what we talked about the last time we gathered and we'll dive into that here in just a second. But let's read the first four verses here. Here's what it says. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's what we'll be preaching on tonight. And we'll, we'll pray before we begin. Father, we come to these words and Lord, they mean so much. Um, Lord, there's a call here. There's instruction here. And I pray that um, I would adhere to these words. And I would understand the weight of these words. And Father, that I would be able to present these words in truth and in reverence to you. I pray that everyone here, their eyes and their ears and their hearts would be open to receive these words, Lord, that they would grow in righteousness and sanctification. And Lord, that these words are for our edification. So God, help us tonight, we pray, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why does this verse here begin with the word therefore? It's because we look at previously what we've discussed. And if you remember what we talked about on Thursday, or yeah, Sunday night, was that it is not strange that sufferings occur. It's not strange, but it's rather we are to be expecting it. And not only are we to be expecting it, we are to know that it is the will of God that these things come into our lives to help us to grow our faith, to help us grow in 
our sanctification, sometimes to discipline us as well, but all so that we can grow more in the image of God. This is what we had discussed, and we had discussed that not only are we to to steward uh, the things that we talked about on Sunday as far as uh, financial and our families and our roles and and our the gospel and our testimony but we talked about that we are to steward our sufferings that we are to take those things that God has entrusted us with and and we're to be good stewards of those and and when these things come into our our lives and we suffer according to the will of God we're to entrust our souls to our faithful creator and doing right and and that's where it left off and now Peter comes to this point and he says therefore in the light of the sufferings will come and that you're to entrust your soul and that you're to know that they're from God and it's the will of God that these things come. He turns his attention to a group of people in this letter and he turns his attention towards the elders of the church. Because when we go through trials and we go through sufferings and we go through the things of life, that the words of God are to be our guide. They're to be our comfort. They're to be where we get strength where we know what is pleasing to God and there how we anchor our soul when it comes to the trials of the world and the sufferings that we share. And, and one of the ways that God has allowed this to come to pass is to have people that are over local churches that are to teach and to preach and to give that instruction. So that's why he turns it and says, Therefore, in the light of all this, now to those who are called to, to the, be the elders, to be the teachers, to be the preachers, to those who are the overseers of the church, listen up. Because it's going to be your job to help and to teach and to encourage and to bring the light of the Word of God, even in the middle of heartache, even in the middle of hard truths. You're going to be the people that deliver this to the people that are suffering and the exiles that are here. This is what a great call that he says. And he turns his attention to the elders. And this word elder, this is where we get the word overseer, or uh, some will translate it into bishop, where it is the one who will come and to, and to oversee or to be the spiritual overseer, local pastor, if you will, of these people. And here Peter says, I extort the elders among you, as your fellow elder. Now, what's interesting here is that Peter does not say that I am exalted higher than you. He did not say that I am the Pope. This is what the Catholics say. They say that Peter was the first Pope, and therefore all that tradition will flow down. Well, that can't be the case, just for a few reasons, because uh, the Catholics today believe that the Pope cannot be married, except for Peter was married. One of the first miracles that Jesus ever did was to heal Peter's mother-in-law. So Peter is disqualified according to the Roman Catholic in their own opinions even today. But Peter does not come out and say, I am the supreme elder among you. I oversee, I teach, I preach. That's not what he said. He said, I'm a fellow elder. I've been one that's been called just like you guys that are elders to preach and to teach the Word of God. There's, it's a humility that he shows here. Think about what all Peter has been entrusted to. That he was the right-hand man of Christ. He was there at the, uh, to see all the, the things that, that Jesus had did. He was with him every day, uh, nearly in his earthly ministry. He saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration in this, this glory. He was... Given the commission of God to go and, and to, to tend the flock of God. And, and we see all the things that Peter's seen. He's seen the glory of God. He's seen the resurrection of Christ. He's seen all these weighty things. And he says, I'm a fellow elder. There's nothing special about me except for I've been called by the same grace and given a task by God. And he says that he's witnessed the sufferings of Christ. And he's been a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. And he honestly did. You see, Peter was unique in the fact that Peter was Trinitarian in his experience on earth. Now, we all believe in the Trinity. We have to. It's a biblical doctrine. If you don't believe in the Trinity, then you don't have the gospel. If you don't believe in the Son and His deity, then you don't have the Father. That's what the Bible clearly tells us. But Peter was Trinitarian. Think about the unique life that Peter had. He walked with the Son every day that Christ was on this earth. He heard the voice of the Father from heaven. 
on Mount Transfiguration. He said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. And he was indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Peter, what an amazing, unique experience that he had. And he saw the sufferings of Christ. He saw, when the Bible tells us that, that Christ is our example in suffering, he was firsthand to see these sufferings of Christ. He saw them. He saw the persecution. He saw the reviling, the slander. He saw the hatred. He saw him being taken away, chained. He, he saw him in, in all this hardship and suffering. And he also saw him in his glorified body. He says, I'm a witness of these sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. And what's amazing is that no, you and I have never seen the actual sufferings of Christ in the flesh, but we will join with Peter as well that one day we will partake of the glory that is to be revealed. What an amazing thought that is, that, that we will partake of this glory just as Peter will partake of the glory. And in a real sense, as we, we covered the last time that we met, that it tells us now that we also have the Spirit of glory resting on us now. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14 says, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So not only does it rest on you now, the glory of God rests on you now, but the full glory that we will see on the last day, which will be revealed. Let me make a couple of distinctions if I can. If you see on the board here, sometimes these words get a little dicey and sometimes they run together and we just use them sometimes misappropriately. But we have elder, apostle, and disciple. We've read the Bible. We've probably seen those terms. You've heard us speak on these things before. But it says that here that Peter is an elder. And this is, like I said, an overseer, one who preaches, one who teaches, one who's devoted to prayer. And we see that in Acts chapter 6, where, where there's been a need that the, some of the, the, the women who's lost their husbands, the widows, and some of the poor, they're having a hard time preaching the gospel and dealing with the, the needs of the people that have actual needs of hunger and not having anyone to take care of them. And this is where the deacon come into pass and came into play where they come and they, they uh, bring Stephen in and they appoint these people who they are going to serve. Because if you remember where we get the word deacon is that's those who serve. And so you see this distinction in the church, in the early church, where the, the deacon would be the ones who were, they were to hand out the food and they were to help the poor and they were to take care of the day-to-day the -day operations for the people. And the elders were the ones who were devoted to preaching, teaching, and to prayer. That's how those two offices kind of merged because the elders and, and the apostles are saying, listen, we can't go out and, and do all this witnessing and preach and still and find time to do this. There's, there's a struggle that's going on, so let us appoint deacons, let them be in charge of that so we can go and to continue to teach and preach and be devoted to prayer. That's where the deacon came in, but the elder was the one who was to be in charge of the preaching and the teaching. And we see a command that this was to be set up in these various places. Like, for example, in Titus chapter 1, verse 5 through 9, he is, Paul is writing this, and he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And then he starts to give the qualifications for these who are to be elders to teach and preach, namely if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. You've heard that word on Sunday. They're to steward what God has given them. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. He says, listen, he's writing this, and he says, you've got to set up and appoint elders in each of these cities. They are to meet these qualifications, and they are to hold fast, faithful to the word. 
They are to teach in sound doctrine and also be able to contradict those who oppose. You see, this is, this is what Paul is giving the instruction and this is what, who Peter is talking to in this epistle. We also see this in James chapter 5, verse 14. It says, If any among you is anyone among you sick, then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. These are the elders. There's a distinction between that and the deacon, although in today's church, in the modern structure, we've got these messed up. We've elevated the, the deacon that we now see in the modern-day church. Would have, that, that, the deacon is now doing what the, the, excuse me, the people that are called deacons in today's church are supposed to be doing what the trustees are appointed to do. The deacons in the church of God are not to teach and to preach and to do all those things. They are to take care of the business, the structure of the building, those who have needs. That's the job of the deacon. The job of the elder is to be able to preach and to teach and to head the church. We've, we've crossed these lines and we've started to run these things quite opposite than what the Bible has set into place. And this is who he's talking to. This is to the elders as we get into this. But I want to tell you that Peter was also an apostle. And Peter was also a disciple. So what's the difference? The elders, the overseer, the one who teaches, the one who preaches, devoted to prayer. But what about an apostle? You've heard that term. And we have this absolute unscriptural teaching that is just running wild through America today, across the world today, and in churches today, where we have people claiming to be apostles. There's a movement going on called the NAR. It's the New Apostolic Reformation, where they believe that God has brought back the office of the apostle, and they now have the same gifts, the same power, the same authority as the apostles in the first century A.D. Well, that's just not the case. Because I'm going to tell you what the requirements of an apostle is in the truest sense. And there's no one alive today who meets the requirement of a true apostle. So, if you hear anybody ever say, I'm an apostle, please do me a favor. Either run <laughs> or take your Bible and show them the truth of God's Word. Because the book of Acts tells us what the qualifications are for an apostle. We find that in verses 21 through 26. And here was the requirement. The requirement to be an apostle. And here's what the word apostle means. One that is sent out. One is sent from. And these apostles, if you will, are capital A apostles. They are the ones who God Himself personally sends out for a mission and for a purpose. Now, if you want to get technical, we could have lowercase apostles today as God calls us to go and witness and to spread His Word and to be sent out from Him to the Great Commission, but that's not what these people are meaning. We're all sent by God to make disciples and to spread His gospel, but that's not what the apostleship in the early church was. Here was the requirements that the book of Acts tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 21. It says, Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John, until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must be a witness with us of his resurrection. So to be an apostle, a true apostle with true apostolic authority to go out. And we look at it in the book of Acts. How does Paul and Peter and all these apostles, how are they healing people? How, are, how is the, the touch of the, the handkerchief they hold or the shadow that is passed over them in Peter's case, how are they able to heal and to, and to touch people and to do these marvelous signs and wonders because they are true apostles sent by God with special abilities as given by God to be His witnesses. 
And here's the true definition of the apostle in the first century. You had to be there and be a witness when Christ started his ministry at his baptism. You had to be there and be an eyewitness of his resurrection. You had to see it. You couldn't pick up in the middle of it. You had to be there from the time of his baptism. And you had to be able to witness his resurrection. So I ask you, when you turn on YouTube or you listen to anything or you see it anywhere that you look and you see someone say, I'd like to welcome to the stage Apostle so-and-so, they have no idea what they're saying because there's no one here alive today that has been an eyewitness to the life of Christ. And there's no one alive today who's eyewitnessed his resurrection. Peter did. Now, is there an exception to this rule? There's one exception to this rule. It's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was called by God on the road to Damascus to be sent out from him by God. And if you remember how much controversy there was when Paul started his ministry, people didn't believe him. Like, no, this can't be the guy. And only until that the true apostles gave the approval of this apostle did he truly have credibility within the church there. And Paul will even tell you this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I'm an apostle due out of, born out of due time. I was the one who came out of this strange compared to the way that it was supposed to be, according to the way that the requirements were. But God had favor on me for his own purpose and that was the exception to the rule. And Paul was an apostle, and the rest of the apostles were those who were eyewitnesses of his ministry, of Christ, and his resurrection. So Paul, or Peter, excuse me, was an elder because he was an overseer. He was also an apostle because he was sent out with apostolic authority to work in signs and wonders to be a witness for God because he was an eyewitness to that. But he was also a disciple. And we've, I think looked at the Great Commission all wrong for a long time. In Matthew 28, what does the Great Commission say? Go and make disciples. What is a disciple? Are you a disciple? Am I a disciple? How do we make disciples? When you translate the word disciple and you bring it down to its basic meaning, do you know what it means? Student. That's what the word disciple means, one who studies, a student. Now, let's go back to the Great Commission. Go out and make students of God. One of the greatest tragedies in the church today is that we're afraid to teach and make students on our Sunday services. It's not glamorous. We want the feel good. We want the topical. We want the emotion. We, we, that's boring. If you come and try to teach me and make me a student on Sunday, how can that? I'm not going to sit through that. That's the, that's the attitude of the modern church, isn't it? I want to be close to God. I want to be a disciple. Well, disciple means being a student. To learn, to grow. To be taught the word. That's what we think about when you go to school. You sit and you are listening to the teacher teach, and you are growing and you are growing in knowledge so you can go to the next grade. And then you take that knowledge, and what do you do? You build on that and you go to the next grade. That's the same way in a Christian life. You build on the base, the, 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 the milk, if you will, and that growth then allows you to go to the meat, and that meat allows you to handle things in your life that you never could before. When you come across situations now in your life, do you handle them differently? And is your thought process different than it was a year ago? How does, that, how does that happen? Because you're students of the Word. I'm a student of the Word. Before I can come and give a sermon, guess what I have to do? I have to be a student of the Word. I have to study. I have to pour into it. 
That's what disciples mean. To learn about God. And to never stop learning. That's what we're called to do. So you start to see the distinctions in these roles. A disciple is a student, a student of Christ, one who's growing and learning. That's what we're called to do. We're called to make disciples, students, apostles, as it was meant in that sense, was limited to the first century. And when they died, that office was never refilled. It just didn't happen. They didn't need it. The Word of God was being used, and, and their testimony had already cemented the validity of Christ. That's what it was being used for. There are no more apostles in that sense, but there are disciples and there are elders. I just wanted to make those distinctions because we live in a world that that is mistaught and falsely proclaimed. Peter said that we've suffered, he's suffered, he's seen the sufferings of Christ, he's been a witness to him. And a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. A few verses here that come to mind. We read this on uh, the last time we met. I just read it. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. And Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's what Peter's saying here. He's a fellow elder. He's witnessed these things. He's witnessed the glory of God in the resurrection, but he will be a partaker of that glory on the last day, so will all who believe. And then he turns in verse 2, talking to the elders, the overseers, the pastors, and he says this, Shepherd the flock of God among you. You know, the first thing I see there that I think has to be addressed. Whose flock is it? It's no human's flock. It's God's flock. I'm so thankful for everyone in this church. And God is, for some mysterious reason to me called me to be here right now to teach and to preach. You could come here for 50 years and not one time in that 50 years would you ever be my sheep. Not one time. But the God of this world has entrusted whoever's here for me to teach and to preach. He's called me to be a good steward of preaching and teaching for every single person that walks through that door. And there are times when I stop and think about that and I think that how can I even put into words the honor that He would call me to this because if there's anybody who's undeserving of it, it's me. But on the other hand, you know what emotion it puts in my soul? Fear. And weight. The weightiness of that responsibility. And if you're a true Christian, you are God's sheep. He's brought you here for some reason. And he tells me to shepherd his flock. How do I shepherd? How does any elder shepherd? Well, he's going to tell us this. Some ways that we're not to shepherd. He says... Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. What does he mean here? He's saying, listen, the attitude that an elder is supposed to have and a pastor is supposed to have is not one who comes up here every time or throughout the week and says, oh, gosh, 
I've got to do it again. Being forced to do this. God's called me into this, and I've got to do it. That's not the attitude we're supposed to have. But he says, but voluntarily, or eagerly, or with delight. Can I be honest with you? I tell you, this is different tonight because I'm, I'm telling you, but I'm telling me. I'm going to be honest, we were talking a little bit before church. And as a human being, I physically get tired. I get tired. She will tell you there are days where I honestly do not know where the strength will come from. That's the truth. And there are times when it's everything I can do to pull myself out of the seat in the living room and walk into the study. But then I begin to think. The God of this universe has entrusted me with His Word. And something supernatural happens. He gives me strength. He gives me joy. And you know what I can honestly say? I delight in preaching His Word. I love it. All the, the hard and all the time and all the struggle and all the persecution, I've never been happier in my entire life. It literally thrills my soul to carry this pulpit out of that room and to preach the Word of God. And when we have services through the week, and I take my little podium with me, what great honor and what great joy it is. Because it's by the will of God that I'm here, and it's by the will of God that true pastors are where they're at. I pray that I never have the added attitude or it's just something I'm forced to do because I've been called. And every true elder has been called by God or to the delight and the true privilege that it is to proclaim His Word because it's according to the will of God. He says, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. So many people across the country today, it doesn't take you very long to see the likes of I won't mention names. I don't think they're true Christians, but Kenneth Copeland and the list goes on and on who all they do is get behind the pulpit for financial gain. Send in this money and your elderly mother will be healed. There's been documented stories how people have sent their life savings in, ruined their lives. They're flying around on jets. They've got million-dollar houses. And people have put their trust in them. There is a special judgment for that in those people. People today, there are people that are in the ministry for gain financially. And God knows that. But that's not to be the calling of a true elder. Not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. Again, he, he says, listen, elder, it's not your people. I love you all, and I, I, I want to just, you're my people in a sense that you're with this church, and I love you all, but you're not my people. You've been purchased by God. You're His sheep. And He's given me the responsibility to give you the Word of God. I feel the weight of that every day, and I feel the weight of it more and more. And I pray, I pray every day that God would not take away that weight, that rest in that thought. Because the second we get comfortable and just coming and just giving a sermon is the moment we've lost focus. 
I want every time I walk into a building or a place and I open the word of God, I want to feel the weight of the sovereign God of this universe entrusting me to proclaim that in all truth. We can't take it lightly. We can't take it nonchalantly. It's not my words. You're not my sheep. You're his sheep. I'm his sheep. And he's called us to this. Not lording it over those allotted to your charge, to those you've been entrusted to, but proving to be examples of the flock. You know what? The last thing that I, I can ever be to you and the last thing an elder can be, a pastor should be to his congregation is a hypocrite. For me to say, this is how you're to live. And me not to live it. Is there anything really worse than that? What's the old saying? Do as I say, not as I do. Isn't that the old saying? Let that never be the case. We're to be examples. We're to live lives that aren't just about the talk, but about the walk. There's weightiness here. You know, this whole shepherd sheep talk, the Bible makes it very clear. And we couldn't go at a sermon without the shepherd and the sheep, without going to John 10. And the Bible is very clear. He says, I'm the good shepherd, isn't he? He says, I'm the door for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep know my name. I call and they come. They don't hear and understand the voice of the stranger. They understand the voice of the shepherd and they're my sheep. And what does he do to these sheep? He lays his life down for them. And then he rescues those sheep. And he wraps those sheep in the loving arms of the shepherd to which they will be safe. All through eternity. But these are all God's sheep. Even those of the other sheepfold, right? Even the Gentiles, those are his sheep. And he says, shepherd the flock of God. And here's what it all comes down to. Why do we go verse by verse? Why? Do we lean not into opinions? But why do we continue to be relentless? And that's our call of every elder and every pastor, to be relentless and to preach the Word of God in truth. Why? Because do you know what the number one job of the elders of the church, the pastors of the church, the shepherds of God's flock, do you know what the number one responsibility is? And with great weight, it is to feed the sheep. If you're looking for a million things from me, I'm sorry. I'm probably going to let you down. I'm sorry that you don't have the fanciest fella. I'm sorry you don't have the fella who has the I wish I had a different voice sometimes. I'll tell you that. I hear some of the recordings and I'm sorry. And then I hear people that have this voice and you're like, I just want to sit and listen to this guy all day long. I don't have that and I'm sorry. I don't have the deepest theological training. I'm sorry. But what I do have, I promise I'll give you. I'll give you the Word of God. That's all I know to do. What else can I do? The Bible says that the primary job of those who tend the flock of God is to tend them, to feed them, and to shepherd them. You know, we see this so clearly in the story of Peter who he 
We just heard earlier, he's a fellow elder. He's an apostle. He's a disciple. He's an eyewitness to God. And all the things that he did. And if you remember that passage of Scripture in the story, that he says that, Peter, you will betray me. You betrayed me, Peter. And what did Peter say? Can you imagine what Peter was thinking? Almost, how dare you? Who do you, excuse me? I'll die for you, Lord. Peter, Peter. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, and you're no match for him. But I've prayed for you, Peter. And when you turn, you're going to tend to the fellow believer. Later that evening, before he knew it, that the rooster crowed three times, and Peter knew exactly what happened. Can you imagine that moment? The Bible records in one of the Gospels that, that when that rooster, uh, he, he made the, the sound and he, he did that the third time. He said the eyes of Jesus turned and locked eyes with Peter. Can you imagine Peter? I'll never deny you. I've walked with you for three and a half years. I've seen you on the Mount Transfiguration. I've seen you heal. I've seen you do all these things. I'll never deny you. And now, the eyes of his Savior are upon him. We've talked about it before. If that would have been you and someone would have betrayed you, what would the look you would have gave him? It probably wasn't the look that Jesus gave Peter. Because I believe that the look that Peter was given that night said two things. I'm God. And I know all things. Don't ever forget it. And number two, Peter, what did I tell you? I've prayed for you. This isn't the end, Peter. This may feel like the worst day in your life. But you're not done. Peter runs away weeping. Days later, they're out fishing in the middle of the night. They're bringing their boat to shore. And Jesus is standing on the shore. Ironically enough, it's the same sea. It's the same sea that Peter was called into ministry to begin with. Is where Jesus is standing. Peter. His attention is given and says, hey, look. Peter can't wait. He dives into the water and he runs to the shore to see Jesus. And we know in that intimate setting around that fire that Jesus asked Peter three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He asked him, do you love me more than these? Peter says, you know I love you. And you know Jesus' answer. He says, if you love me, then tend my lambs. Now, why lambs? Well, the lambs are the young. They're the babies. Saying there's going to be infant Christians. There's going to be Christians that are very far along in their walk with the Savior. Peter, you got to tend to them. They need you. They may need the milk, but they need you to get them to the meat. That word tend translates into the word bosco, which in other uh, sections of Scripture, the primary point of that is to feed. Peter, do you love me more than these? He doesn't say well, then go do A, B, C, D, and all these other things you think may prove your love. 
But he says, you're a fellow elder, right? He says, go tend my lambs. Go feed those young Christians. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you, you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, shepherd, my sheep. Not just to feed them the word of God, but what all else that it would entail to help them in their walk with the true shepherd. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He was getting frustrated that he asked him three times. It doesn't tell us why, but one would begin to think that it was because he denied him three times, that he asked him three times. The scripture doesn't say that's our best guess. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. Like, yeah, he knew that you were going to betray him, Peter. But you doubted him there. Lord, you know all things. You know that my heart has been broken. I've been brought to repentance. God, you know that I love you. Can you hear these words? He says this. Tend my sheep. Peter, go feed my sheep. They're not yours. But everyone I'll put in front of you, they're mine to preach and to teach. And what is the diet of the sheep? It's not entertainment. The diet of the sheep is the food of the shepherd. And that is the word of God. For me to show my love to the true shepherd and to steward what God has given me and entrusted me as well as every other elder and pastor in the world, our highest calling is to preach the word. Our job is not to entertain. Our job is not to give our opinions. Our job is to preach the word. And maybe you can agree to this, that the true sheep, when they start to taste the truth and the true word of God, there's nothing that tastes any better. There's nothing that your soul longs for more than the true word of the shepherd. Can you attest to that? That the words of God are life-changing. They're what feeds your soul. And that's what he's called us to do, is to preach the word. Be ready all times to do that. And yes, just I couldn't pass up this point. That is for the men. God does not appoint female elders in His church. We're to speak the oracles and the words of God. He tells us also, we read earlier, not to look as dictators of the people, but to lead by example. And we see this when Paul writes to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 12 through 16, he says to Timothy, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech... Conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. And then look what he says, that, that Timothy would be an elder. He would be the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And he says, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to the exhortation and teaching. Again, you see, we can't get away from it. Teaching, preaching, prayer of the elder. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance in the laying of hands by the presbytery, saying that God's called you into this position. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. Think about that. Be absorbed. Not just a little bit, but to engross yourself in the things of God. That's the call of the elder, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. 
What great responsibility. We have missed the mark in the church. It's not about entertainment. It's not about show. It's not about catchphrases. It's about giving the sheep the Word of God. That's the primary role. That's it. And what a great responsibility that is. You know, the Bible says that those who are teachers, it says not many, let not many of you want to become these things. Why? James 3.1 says, because knowing that is such, they will endure and incur a stricter judgment. You see why that's terrifying? That elders and myself have been called to be a representative and to be entrusted with the Word of God. I pray that not one thing ever come out of my mouth that is not in truth in harmony with His Scripture. Because we're judged more strictly. That's, that's, a, that's a weighty matter, and I hope I never forget that. He says this in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see that he's allowed these elders and these pastors to be hired out shepherds. Shepherds of his own flock that he's appointed to feed and to shepherd. He's entrusted us and all elders to do this to his flock. And how dare we ever harm his flock. How dare we ever lead astray his flock. However we ever do anything to hurt one of his sheep or lambs. But he calls himself the chief shepherd here. That he's the shepherd of all. He's the one to all to which the sheep belong. And it says when he appears to those who have been faithful to his word and those the elders and those pastors who have shepherded his flock faithfully, that they will receive a crown of glory that's unfading. There's nothing that I deserve less, and I pray that I would always be faithful to His Word to receive that crown of glory as the shepherd of His sheep that is given out by the chief shepherd. Let us be faithful to these callings. I want to draw your attention as we close. You'll see in the middle of your paper there on the last sheet in the back, the Bible describes Christ as three shepherds, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd. We find the good shepherd in John 10. That's the shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. That's what the good shepherd does. And also you'll see that we see Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24 picture this as well in the Old Testament. Psalm 22 talks about, it's a messianic prophecy. It's speaking about Christ on the cross, how he would cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It would talk about his, his bones looking upon him and his bones being out of joint. And it, it would talk about what he would suffer on the cross. You know, the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. We see that in John 10. We see that in Psalm 22. But then in Hebrews 13, we see that the resurrected shepherd leads his sheep. He says the great shepherd who's been resurrected. So the good shepherd lays his life down. The great shepherd is the one who leads his sheep throughout this life and into sanctification. Where have you seen that? If Psalm 22 is about the one who lays his life down for the sheep, have you ever heard of Psalm 23? It says he's the what? He's my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me. He directs me in this life. He laid his life down. Now he directs his sheep. And then here you have this text, the chief shepherd, the one in all glory, who's waiting for that day where he will come and gather all the sheep. And we see that in Psalm 24 where it speaks about this king of glory. You've heard it said before that the good shepherd, he has the cross because he's laying his life down. 
for the sheep and the great shepherd has been resurrected. Now he has the crook of the shepherd because now he's leading and guiding his sheep. And the chief shepherd is in heaven with his crown as he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he says he's going to come one day. And for those elders, those people who have shepherded faithfully his flock, he'll give a crown of unfading glory. We see these last verses here in Psalm 95, verse 7, part 8. It says, For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. And here's why this is so important. To guard His Word and to feed the sheep the Word of God. It says in Acts 20, verse 28 through 31, Paul is getting ready to leave the Ephesian elders. He's going to tell them, I'm never going to see you again. He's getting ready to go to Jerusalem, and then he will eventually die in the sequential events that take place. But he's never going to see these people in the church of Ephesus ever again. And look what he tells them in verse 28 through 31. Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock. He's talking to the elders here. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from them, from your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. You see what Paul's saying? You see the heart of the apostle here? I've got to go and I'm going to die. He's entrusted me with this gospel. I've got to die. And I'm going to leave. But elders, listen to me. Guard the flock. Whatever you do, guard the flock. Be on alert. Because as soon as I leave, there's going to be false teachings that come in. There's going to be people that distort the gospel. There's going to be people that come in for their own selfish gain. Guard them with everything you've got. Don't ever for an ounce let compromise come into this place. Guard them. Remember what I taught you. This is the she- you're shepherding the flock of God, and it's just not just ordinary people. It's the people that he died for. Do you see the weight of that matter? That the elders are to shepherd the flock, which are the people that God laid his life down for. Guard them with everything you got and teach them sound doctrine. And we see this finally in 2 Timothy chapter 4. As we begin to wind this down, I want you to picture this. Paul's in prison. 2 Timothy is the last letter he will ever write in his life. This is it. And he's writing to his young protege, Timothy. I've asked this before, I'll ask it again. If you were dying and you had one letter to write to your protege or to someone you loved or anything like that, what would your last letter say? Hey, I appreciate all the memories. Hey, I want you to know I love you. Hey, hope we meet again someday. All those would be fine. Paul, who's faced hardships and suffering and felt alone by many people, including in this text. But he says, God's never left me. And you know the last chapter, we know there wasn't chapter and verse. Did you know the last chapter, what he tells Timothy as he's getting ready to die? Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing in His kingdom. Timothy, I'm going to die. And so are you. Because as soon as they come and get me, guess what? They're going to come for you too. You're not off limits, Timothy. Here's the last thing I got to tell you, Timothy. Preach the word. 
preach it. Don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Don't think it's not enough. Don't think you need something new. Don't think you need something different. Timothy, listen to me. I'm leaving this earth. And the most important thing I can ever tell you is this. Preach the word. It's the word of God. It's the food for the sheep. It's the power of God into salvation. It is the imperishable seed that finds lodging in the hearts of the soil of the heart that God has prepared and brings them to faith. Timothy, are you ready to die by preaching the word? Timothy, there's nothing more important in this life than preaching the word. Timothy, listen to what I'm saying. Preach the word. Is that what you would say? Do you feel the weight of the word of God? Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come while they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside the myths. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist. And fulfill your ministry. This has been a message that has been preached to me, and it applies to every person that is an elder in God's church. If at any time I've ever came across as thinking this is my church, I want to apologize to you. It's not. And it never will be. If I've ever lorded anything over you, then I'm sorry. I have nothing to lord over anyone. We've all had gifts in God's church and I the greatest mystery I'll ever know is that He's called me to do this. If for every moment I've led into my opinions, then I apologize to you. If any time I've ever failed in any duties as a pastor to you, then I'm sorry. I honestly could not have asked God for a better group of people to be entrusted with. And I personally want you to know that me and Taylor discuss this quite often. The pressure and the weight and the responsibility is something that we don't ignore. I never want to come up here unprepared. I never want to not have an answer for you. I never want to, quote unquote, put in the midnight oil so I can come and give you the greatest food that could ever be given. The Word of God. Not because of me, because the content of His Word. I can't promise you a lot of things. But I can promise you one thing. I've written this on my Bible. I've had it on here for a long time. And my promise to you, and anyone who ever comes through that door, is to do what I have written here. I don't know if you can see it or not. It's a daily reminder. And I'm going to do what Paul instructed Timothy to do. And I promise you, if nothing else, to preach the word. Until the day I die. With God's help.
appreciate you all. I love you all. And I'm thankful that he's called me. I'm going to preach the word. And feed the sheep. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you for the mercy that you have shown on me. Father, how often I've failed in this office. God, how often I've been too casual. I've not been absorbed in your word. I've not studied like I should. Father, I thank you for mercy, and I ask that you would have mercy on me. And Father, I want to thank you for this privilege and this opportunity. Lord, that you have trusted me with your people. Lord, help me to never fail you again. Help me to feel the weight of that every day, more and more. God, help me in everything I do. And Father, every elder, every pastor of the church in the world that you've called, please, God, lead them into all truth. Let us know that it is not our words that we are proclaiming. It is yours. And Lord, Let me never waver, but let me have all boldness to proclaim and to preach your word. It's the only thing that can save and change. And as Peter is instructing these people that in the middle of suffering, the word of God needs to be heard. The same is the case today. Father, I thank you. Father, forgive me. Thank you, Lord. Help me, I pray. In Jesus' name. I pray. Amen.